Well, we are better together, like Sandy said, and I would just uh, join the chorus of folks just encouraging you, if you've not found a place to get rooted this fall, to uh, it's not too late, I encourage you to go online, get signed up, go to the Info Hub. If you're uh, with us, uh, join us uh, online, you can, you can do it at myfirstchurch.com forward slash grow. I encourage you to find the place, again, not, not too late. We'll get started uh, this week in a lot of great things. Also, a great time to get involved uh, in a serve team. Uh, we are better together serving, whether that's youth or children or some tech team or whatever. We've got a lot of opportunities. I encourage you to find that place. Uh, listen to what Bonhoeffer said. Uh, the church is a church only when it exists for others. Not dominating, but helping and serving. It must tell men of every calling what it means to live for Christ, to exist for others. So in our me-centered, individualistic uh, culture that we live in, like we talked about last week, we need to remember why we exist. And we don't exist to serve ourselves. This isn't a country club. In case you missed the sign on the, on the front, this isn't a country club that you've come to. Uh, we're a church, and we are a place on mission. Jesus came to seek and save those who are lost. He came not to be served, Scripture tells us, but to serve. And so as Christ came to serve, we also take up that mantle, and we are his people, and so we also serve. Our vision here at First Church, we often uh, say it, is igniting Christ's passion in everyday people to restore God's ideal. And that's what we're about. We're about restoring God's ideal. And we tell the story of just that vision of the, in the garden, uh, Adam and Eve there with God the Father, and they're in perfect relationship with him, perfect relationship with one another, and perfect relationship with his creation. Uh, and then sin entered, messed it all up. They got kicked out. The brokenness of sin is still in our world, and we see it all around us. And so our mission is to restore God's ideal, to restore, uh, to, to be a part of him, restoring the relationship with him, with one another, into our world. And so that's who we are. That's what we're about. That's what we're doing. And we do that better together. And even though we're never going to be able to perfectly accomplish that this side of eternity, uh, we're going to give the old college try. We're going to do the best we can until that time that he calls us home. There's a great story in one of the Gospels, Mark chapter 2. Again, if you have your Bible, turn with me there. In Mark chapter 2, uh, there's a story, and the Gospels are just the stories of the life of Christ. And in this story, there's a, a story of some individuals that work together, because we're better together, work together to help restore God's ideal, help this individual that was having some struggles, they helped him find what he needed in Jesus, restoring God's ideal. So let's look at the story and see what we can apply in our own lives individually and as a church as we work together because we're better together. Look at the story, Mark chapter 2, verse 1. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. Now Capernaum is a little small fishing village in the first century. It was a really small fishing, fishing village on the north side of the Sea of Galilee. If you've got, uh, you know, if you look at a Bible map or a map of, the, of, the, of Israel, you see the Sea of Galilee on the northwest corner there is Capernaum. And just imagine that here is Jesus in this small town that was his base of operations there in that region. 
And he would go out and he would preach and he would teach and then he would come back here. As, again, kind of his place that he would, would go from. And there were little small stone uh, buildings, flat roofs uh, made of thatch and uh, reeds and things and mud and maybe some tiles depending on the, how the house was made exactly. And we, uh, a couple of years ago, had a chance to take a number of uh, First Church folks and we went to the Holy Land. And uh, this is a we got some pictures. This first picture is a picture of the, uh, the, the placard that's outside as you're walking into this, this, this little city, of this village of Capernaum. And there's another picture. And this second picture is a picture of, of a, a synagogue that was the walls built later. But the foundation of the synagogue, because can, they can tell that it was uh, built, this, what the walls are currently, uh, that they've, uh, the archaeologists have found. Uh, but the, the foundation of this building is from the first century. So it's really cool to imagine that on these very stones that this synagogue was built, that these are the very places that Jesus walked. I love that thought. If you look at the picture, and if you're by radio, I know it's hard to, a little hard to hear or, or to see that, but just imagine there are these stone structures outside of that uh, all around that synagogue. And those stone structures are buildings and some are, are shops and whatever, but just small, just imagine these small homes, and it's in one of these small stone homes, again, with, with that flat roofs, uh, that, that Jesus is preaching. And it says there in that, that verse that he was preaching the word to them. So imagine 30, 40 people packed in this little place, this little home, people spilling out into the street. And it says in verse 3, And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. When they could, have got, could not get near him because of, because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their heart, Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, perceiving in their spirit, in his spirit, that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. So here's this group of friends. Maybe one of them had witnessed a miracle of Jesus. Maybe, maybe one of them had actually been touched by Jesus personally. And so they have a personal story about how God had changed or Jesus had changed their lives. Certainly they had all heard, because they're from, you know, conceivably from this, probably from this village themselves, they'd heard about, it's not a real huge region, and they had heard the stories of Jesus teaching his, his miracles, the things he'd be doing. And so they knew the story, they knew of Jesus, and so they believed that the, the, what their friend needed was to get close to Jesus, to be in proximity to Jesus. And so verse Three says, as they think about how they can help their friend, let's take him to Jesus. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. So he's a paralytic. He can't walk. 
The only way he's going to get to Jesus is if, they, if someone helps him. And so they decide that we're going to work together and we're going to work together to help him. Later on in, in the story, it says that they let him down by this mat or this bed that he was, uh, he was on, that they carried him in on. And that, again, from the Greek, you can kind of get the context. It was a, basically a, a bedroll that at night would be the place that he would sleep and he'd roll it up or whatever, maybe during the day. And so it was that bedroll that he's on. They each grab a corner, just get the picture in your head. They're taking him to Jesus. And so the four men are carrying this guy on a bed, this mat, to Jesus. Then they're each going to grab a corner and get that picture in your head. And as we think about the people in our lives that might need Jesus, what are the needs that you think of maybe in their lives? Because a lot of people as they might be open to Christ doing some work in their life, there's probably some other things going on. Maybe there's a need of someone that you're thinking of that maybe they're going through a health crisis. Or maybe they're a young mother and they're struggling raising kids. Uh, maybe they're a coworker and they're drowning in the anxiety of this current job market. Or maybe they're, there's some addiction in their life and they're losing that battle with that addiction or there's any number of things that could be going on. But, but this guy, the presenting problem was he was a paralytic. And so to get him to Jesus, the one that they believed, all of them had faith that Jesus could make a difference, they each grab a corner. As we think about the example that we see set for us here in this story, what would it look like for us to grab a corner? Because we're better together and we're better at, at, at introducing people to Jesus and bringing people to Jesus and, and helping Jesus to be in proximity so that people's lives can be changed. So what would it look like for us, for you, for me, for us to grab a corner? So to ask ourselves the question, who in my life might have a need, might be going through a struggle? who could maybe benefit from, and as we think about what we do together, and we are better together, and there's some, some really cool things that together as First Church that we do to make a difference in our world and in our community, think about what are the resources that we might be doing together that might be helpful to someone that you know. Alpha is a class that we're offering over at our Stevensville campus. Alpha is a, it's a class where you look at some of the basics of the faith. So maybe you have someone that is very skeptical of Christianity, but they're open at least to have a conversation. And so Alpha is a place where you can ask any question. Nothing is out of bounds as you explore potentially faith in Christ. So that would be a, 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 a great place, a resource. Or maybe someone's got children or youth, and so as they're going maybe through a tough time, they could come and go to a Bible study themselves and and they could take advantage because it's something that we do together. Those things, or, the, or maybe there's a transportation issue, and so the New Heights Auto is something, or maybe there's some food uh, issues that they're having, or any number of things. What are the things that might be going on in someone's life that you could grab a corner and you could invite them, you could help bring them to an experience where they could get connected with Jesus? That's what we do every morning. Every Sunday morning is we get together and we worship Jesus and we praise the Lord and we look at his word it's a great place to grab a corner and to bring someone to Jesus most of the time as we grab a corner we think about as we think about someone's life we don't you know imagine someone trying to bring a paralytic to Jesus by themselves It'd be a little hard just to drag the person and so working together is something that's really cool we see that picture we get that I think back, and we mentioned this last week, but think back to uh, a couple months ago when we had our Lake Michigan baptism, baptized some 70 people. 
And I relayed last week how each of those people have a story, and that story is made up of people in their lives that were grabbing corners. And there was somebody that was praying for them, and maybe someone else was sharing their faith with them, and someone else, maybe they were in a class where they learned about Christ that that person taught, and that's grabbing a corner. Or maybe somebody uh, was like you that was donating their, their, their resources, their, their dollars, what God's blessed them with, so that some ministry could happen. That's grabbing a corner. All of these opportunities to grab a corner. What's it look like for us to get our hands dirty, to roll up our sleeves? That's what I love about First Church, is that we can work together. And so when we exercise our generosity and our obedience through our tithe, giving our tithes and offerings and we support mission and the vision of the church, that's grabbing a corner. When we do what we can to volunteer at a youth ministry or a children's uh, class or whatever, that's doing what we can and that's us grabbing a corner that can help reach someone. Or when we run a camera or push a button at a tech, whatever, that's helping someone as we grab a corner, doing our part, all of us, when someone comes here for the very first time. And we notice that maybe somebody I don't know that I'm open to the smile and with the invitation of, hey, this is my name, what's yours? And, and just having a conversation with someone, that's part of grabbing a corner. It's something that we do together. We are better together. And so when we pray for one another, when we, when we send a note to, to someone that's going through a struggle, we pick up a phone and we make a call, even though we don't know exactly what to say, but we know they're going through a tough time, and we do that, that all of those things and all of the other things that you do and we do together in people's lives to help them, to bless them, to be the hands and the feet of Jesus, that's grabbing a corner. Together, we can grab corners and help bring people to Jesus. Go back to verse 4. And when they could not get near him, Jesus, because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. So they got him close, but they knew that if, if he's going to really get some help, he's going to need to get closer to Jesus. He's going to need to have a personal experience with Jesus, a, a face-to-face conversation with Jesus. At least that's what they were thinking. They were thinking, this is not good enough to just get him close to Jesus. We need to get him to Jesus. We need Jesus to speak healing into his life. And so, what are, the, what are we going to do is the conversation. How are we going to make that happen? I mean, as you think about this, the scene and this Jesus in this home and, and people, all these people that are in, the, in the, the room that he's teaching in, and then they're in the doorway, and then they're spilling out into the, into the, into the what would have been the street outside, all of that, all these people in the way. People don't like it when you show up late. When I was uh, traveling to India one time, we're in this big long line and people, there's any number of different languages that we're all speaking in this line in this airport in India. And we uh, were there and then this person, you know, those people that they feel like uh, it's their world and we're just all blessed to be, have the opportunity to live in their world. You know, those kind of people that just think that, yeah. Uh, and so this guy just is walking past all of us to go to the head of the line and we're all think, or I'm thinking, in the ham sandwich do you think you you know i mean we all think things like that and the guy behind me didn't just think it he began to articulate it (laughs) i thought it was going to come to blows we don't put up with people cutting and that's something that you know human nature has not changed that much that was a thing back in the first century just like it's a thing today god has birthed all of us with this innate sense you don't cut the line 
And certainly the people that were in the doorway that showed up on time as Jesus was teaching weren't going to put up with them muscling their way in to where Jesus was. And so what, what else can we do? Imagine them getting out their whiteboard and doing an impromptu brainstorming session. Okay, now no, no idea is a bad idea. So what are ideas about how to get our friend here in to see Jesus? And so that they're, you know, writing stuff up on the whiteboard, imagine. You know, who's the guy that said, well, we could get him up on the roof and then dig a hole through the roof. Can you imagine how that was received when that was first suggested? Really? That was the best idea they came up with. We'll dig through the roof and we'll lower him down. But whatever, that's, that's the idea um, that, they, that they go with. And what it reminds us of is that these, <laughs> these friends were willing to take a risk to get their friend to Jesus. And in the same way, we need to be willing as we grab our corner, as we have a, have a, have a, have a love and a concern for people because we didn't come to be served, but to serve and Jesus has made a difference in our lives, and we want to help others to be able to find Christ. And so we're willing to grab a corner, but we're also willing to take a risk. Sweet, Chris and I had the opportunity to be out uh, in the San Diego area, and we were with a group of pastors of some of the great churches in the Church of God movement. And we're talking around, around this table, just swapping stories and telling them about some of the cool things that God's up to. And one of the stories is a sister congregation in Scottsdale, Arizona, Matt Anderson, great pastor uh, there. And he told the story about how they built, uh, there's this atrium that they have, much like the, the vision that we have to bust out this back wall and to build an atrium in this, in this, for this space. And they put a, a coffee bar, and they're just down the street from the middle school and the high school in their community. And he talked about how every day after school, 50 to 100 uh, teenagers are coming and pouring over their campus, getting their mocha latte uh, or whatever in the world they're getting, and just enjoying that. And they're having chances to meet with and connect with and be in fellowship with and love on teenagers. They took a financial risk to make that happen. Or there's another story, another great church in the Church of God movement, Crossings Community Church. Pastor Marty Groves was talking, telling a story about how right before COVID, uh, they had really been ramping up this ministry to a prison that was there in their community, and they had this prison ministry going. And as COVID came and it became more difficult for them to physically go into the prison, they had started broadcasting their service into this prison story of Jesus, worship, the Word. And the prison system came to them and said, what if, you, would you be willing to broadcast your service in all 22 of our prisons across Oklahoma? And Marty said, uh, when, when they made that ask of them, he said, I, I immediately said, absolutely we'll do that. And then he said, I had to go back and figure out how to do it financially. That's taking a risk. We have the opportunity to present the gospel in 22 prisons across this state. Absolutely, we'll do that. And then I can imagine him going back to the board and like, um, turns out <laughs> that we're going to need some cash. It's not super cheap to broadcast into, into you know, different places. We found that out ourselves. And so being willing to take a risk. I love the addendum on that story that just happened. I think it was the 10th of this month that as God continued to open doors for them, they took a risk and built a chapel in that 
key prison that they're doing ministry in, and they just turn the keys over to that chapel that they built, no strings attached. Built it, taking a risk that it would continue to be this place where they could present the gospel. What are we willing to do? I love it that, I mean, I, I think of, I, I, I have a pretty lengthy list of why I love our church. I have a pretty lengthy list of why I love being your pastor. And at the top of the list, I don't know where it would fall, but near the top of the list is what I love about us is that we are willing together to take risks. We're willing to take a risk and dream about building this lawn, laundry hub in another community. And we've got some news. We're going to talk to you about that hopefully maybe even next week. Or this atrium that we've talked about, to take a risk to do that. Or, or to take a risk and to go out in this community and to take a day on a weekend and to go out and do something and 900 or 1,000 of us to go out and to serve, it, it, to, to take a risk uh, and, and have a car show, to take a risk and do things that maybe others aren't doing, but for the purpose of being able to reach someone for Jesus Christ. That that's who we are. And I love who we are. Because at the end of the day, when we take those risks, we let God work through us as we grab our corner, as we take some risks, as we dig through some roofs, that God gives us a chance to introduce someone to Jesus and to change a life through the message of Jesus Christ. So it wasn't enough to just get, them, get him within earshot of Jesus. They wanted to get him to Jesus. And it says... In verse 4, and when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, if you've sat in a sermon before, you have probably heard the preacher say that to, to just help you to take note of what was in the way of the guy getting in to see Jesus. The crowd was in the way. And in verse 6, it tells us that this crowd, part of the crowd that was in the way of this guy getting to Jesus, verse 6 says this, there were some scribes in the crowd. Scribes were religious leaders. And so at least part of this crowd that was in the way of this guy getting to Jesus was the religious people. And unfortunately, that still happens in our world today. We know that one of the biggest reasons that people reject Jesus, not because they don't like Jesus, it's because we don't represent him well. It's because of what they see in us that is different than what they see in Scripture. When we get in the way, when we give lip service to what it means to be a follower of Jesus, but we don't really live that out. When we say we're a follower of Jesus and we take upon ourselves that sacred name of Christ, when we call ourselves Christian we take upon ourselves that sacred name, but yet we treat it with disdain and shame because we don't live like what Scripture tells us, what Jesus, how Jesus told us to live. Think about, think about our world and, and, and how we represent Christ. And do we represent Christ in all of our forms of communication, whether it's online or uh, talking by text or it with a cohort, or all those, all those opportunities that we have, do we represent Jesus? Does it matter that, that people are watching us and our world is watching us and how we, when it's Jesus plus these other things, 
we compromise. We compromise our example to our world. And so when we think about this world that these first century uh, people, they're trying to get their friend to Jesus. As we think about the obstacle, you know, you know obviously the guy has the obstacle of his, uh, you know, not being able to walk. And maybe there were other obstacles this guy had. Maybe he didn't want to be let down through the roof. Maybe he's, he's arguing with them. I don't know what they had to overcome if they had to talk him into letting them lower him down. I don't know. That's not really recorded in Scripture. But as we think about our family and friends, what are the things that get in the way of them coming to Christ? Maybe there's other obstacles. Maybe there's some sin in their life that's unconfessed and they're unwilling to give up. Or maybe there's some unhealthy relationship that they're engaged in. Or maybe there's a, a past hurt or, or a difficult situation that they had with someone that said they were a follower of Christ who didn't really follow Christ. And so they have that model in their head of this hypocrite that they struggle to get over. Maybe there's an intellectual hurdle. What are the hurdles? But what we notice in the hurdle of the, of, you know, they, they couldn't get into the room. And so there was that, that, that hurdle. They were willing to do whatever it took. They were willing to, to take risks to get their friend to Jesus. They were willing to develop a holy desperation to take some risks in that desperation. And so as we think about what we can apply, what we can do our own lives, are we willing to develop a holy desperation? Do we have a desperation to see our loved one, our neighbor, our friend come to Christ? How desperate are we? Are we willing to take some risks? What were they willing to, to, to give up? What were they willing to risk? Well, certainly their reputation. I mean, they're going to they're gonna dig through this person's roof. I'm sure that would not come without some, you know, some potential uh, breaking of relationships in this little small community. Kind of crazy people dig through people's roofs. I mean, that's, that's nuts. And there's the financial risk that they're going to take. I mean, somebody's going to have to spend some shekels to put the roof back together after the fact. They're willing to do that. And so we ask ourselves the question as we think about, I think we all have that heart that, yeah, we want to see our world change and that Jesus can make a difference, and yeah, we'd like to see that, but how desperate are we to see that? Are we desperate enough to dig through some roofs, and what would that mean for us? We're willing to fast and pray for someone that's far from God. Or maybe we're desperate, but maybe not desperate enough. Maybe we're, we're, we'll send a text, but not willing to have a conversation desperate. Or maybe we're willing to live a, as a good example, but when God opens this wonderful door for us to have a spiritual conversation, we're not that desperate. We don't want to put ourselves out there to do that. We're not desperate enough to extend an invitation to an alpha or to a grief share class or a table group and say, you know what, I, I really think that this would be good. Well, I, I want to come with you. Are we desperate enough? What would desperate look like for you? What would it look like for me? What would it look like for us as a church? So they lower this guy down uh, to get him to Jesus. Verse 5 says uh, that Jesus does something that's a little surprising. He doesn't initially heal the guy, but he says something else to him. He, 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 and they you know, think that this guy's primary need is to be healed. He's paralytic and to be able to walk again. That's what this guy needs. And so that's what they're thinking. But Jesus sees something else. He sees the deeper issue in this guy's life, and that's the sin problem that was really crippling him. 
the most important thing. And it says that after he sees the faith of them, that he forgives this guy's sins. Your sins are forgiven, but, but he says it in response. And you go back to the Greek, you can see that he's talking about these friends. And the friend's faith is what prompts Jesus to offer forgiveness. That's an interesting thought, that what was going on in the friends and their faith impacted this guy. And so as we think about our own lives, to think about how God can use our faith to help someone else, that God can use, use us and God can, uh, can do some awesome things in someone else's life as a result and in, in response to, to us and the risks that we take and the, our willing to, willingness to be desperate. And so there, again, their reputation, all of that, what they put on the line and they're willing to do it. And then Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. The religious leaders get kind of upset by that. They don't say anything out loud, but in their hearts, the Scripture tells us, not out loud, but they're like, who are you to forgive someone's sins? That's blasphemous. And they're, as they're questioning in their heart, I love Jesus' response, the omniscient Jesus, the Jesus that knows everything. And this morning, as you sit here, he knows your heart. And Jesus knows our heart. He knew their heart. And notice his response in verse 9, which is easier to say the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man, he's talking about himself, has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. So they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. So he shows them who he is. That he has the power, he has the authority to heal, he has the authority and the power to forgive sins. And that brings us to the last thing as we think about, not necessarily something that we get from the friends that brought the guy to Jesus, but we get from Jesus himself, and it's his example. And it's what we need to put into practice from Jesus' life, and that's Jesus sees more than just the physical stuff. He sees more than just those needs that present themselves initially in our lives. But he sees what is deeper. And what is deeper for all of us, just like it was deeper for this guy, is our crippling sin that impacts us all and destroys all of our lives. And so in the midst of our physical needs and financial needs and relational needs and, and addiction needs and all, whatever those other needs are, to understand, to see our world as Jesus sees, to have a, and to embrace a biblical worldview. And to understand that this world is broken, it's not our home, it's not our future. And to understand that we're on mission and then to see this world and to see people through that biblical lens and that biblical worldview to see that there are people that are hungry and struggling and they, have, they don't have hope. And the core issue, the foundational thing that we hopefully they find help in in Jesus is find salvation. And Jesus cared about both. We should care about both, all the above, the spiritual needs, the physical needs, all of those needs to have this biblical worldview to look at life through the lens of Scripture and to be motivated by this biblical worldview to do something about it. And I love it that we're a church that doesn't just talk, but we're willing to move from the land of talk, like we often talk about, and move to the land of do. And that's who we are, First Church. That we have this, that we have this bent to action. We have this bent to do something and not just talk about something. And so, we're better together. Friends, we, us, together, First Church, we're better at bringing people to Jesus together. 
We certainly need to do what we can on our own, but together, well, that's really when we can make an impact. And so, as our worship team come back, comes back up, what would it look like for you to grab a corner of their mat? Who is that person that, that God is prompting you and getting you to think about? And who's that person on your heart? And so, how would it, what would it look like for you to grab a, mat, a corner of their mat? What would it look like for you to take a risk? What would it look like for you to develop and to maybe pray, God, give me a holy desperation to do whatever I can to reach that person? What would it look like for you to embrace a biblical worldview and to see this world, not just what you can perceive with your eyes, but to see this world as God sees this world, as Jesus sees this world? So who is God prompting you to reach out to, to love on, to pray for? Who are they? I would encourage you to get someone's name, face in your head and begin even now to pray. To ask God to give you opportunity to build some bridges to that person, to do whatever you can, to be a part. And I don't know what it looks like for you to grab the corner that he's asking you to grab, but just to be obedient when he opens the door to grab the corner that he's laying literally in front of you. And then I just want to talk to that person that's here maybe and you've never invited Christ to be your savior and you've maybe been coming for a while, or maybe this is your first time, or maybe you grew up in church, but you have never embraced Jesus Christ as your Savior. Today's your day. And as we sing this next song, and as I pray for you, I just want to invite you to confess your sin. The Word tells us that if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just. will forgive us of our sin. He will cleanse us from unrighteousness. And so today, I don't know what, what needs you have, what you feel as you come. Maybe there's some relational issue. Maybe there's some health issue. Maybe there's some, I, I don't know what the, the presenting issue is. But let me tell you the, the, the foundational issue. And Jesus, he wants to help you with all those things as well. But let's talk the foundational issue that we all have in common is our need of a Savior. And so, Father, today, for that person that is maybe online or here in this room or by radio, God, as they confess their sin to you, recognizing God as that paralytic crippled by sin on that mat, that God today, they can walk out of here, that they can stand up out of their sinful state and to be set free. God, I thank you that you forgive us. You, you can set us free. The shackles of sin be taken away. And God, as we confess, I thank you, God, that you are you're making a difference. You're forgiving. You're putting, you're writing their name in your book of eternal life. God, I thank you for that today. And God, I pray that you just help these individuals that are praying with me right now as they embrace Christ as their Savior, that they recognize that they are your child and you love them. And God, for the rest of us, Father, that maybe a long time ago we made that decision, but we kind of got a little, little cranky, little crotchety in our old age as a follower of yours. And I pray, God, that you would put back that winsome abandonment of, our, of all of our junk. And let's help us, Father, just have a, a holy desperation for people that are far from you. God, I pray that you do a fresh work in us and help us to see the corner of the mat that you want us to pick up and together that we can make a difference leading people to you. We love you. Speak to us now in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.